We are back with Winds of Winter sample chapters. As we said last episode, we took a little break from A Feast with Dragons because we wanted to build off of Season 8 hype and get into the latest and greatest of what we have from A Song of Ice and Fire. New material. Exactly. Before we someday inevitably get to Winds of Winter. Although it doesn't feel so new. It's like a lot of these really cool resounding opinions that I've been reading and having conversations about for a long time about A Song of Ice and Fires. A lot of those like really great dramatic points seem to stem directly. Most of those points seem to stem directly from these Winds of Winter sample chapters. Well, because if you think about it, by the time a lot of folks really started getting into the series, these sample chapters are being released. Mm-hmm. So this has kind of been what we've had. What These chapters were released in 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. We've had a lot of time to sit with them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things here that I feel like have almost just become not taken for granted, but it's like R plus L equals J. Mm-hmm. It's like you're dumb if you don't think that that's real. Mm-hmm. No disrespect. One of the mysteries that we've kind of put to the side and we're kind of like weighing all of these potential options that come to be in these sample chapters. We had Dion last time. Today we're talking about Ariane 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Ariane was – we just we just read that uh blip when we were looking at the the publishing dates Ariane was originally intended to be or at least these two chapters were originally intended to be thrown into a dance with dragons and now right they're being put into the winds of winter and judging by the just the fact that she's a pov character and it's chapter one i'm assuming it's somewhere near the top of of the book and so it, it carves into the narrative structure the way that george is intending to like set us off toward winter and I'm not sure where the second one lands, but right. I can kind of like feel a very a feast for crows sort of vibe mm-hmm. in the second area in chapter. Yeah, I think Let's there's a lot the of a lot of questions about timeline because Ariane two, we can assume there's probably quite a few POV chapters that happened between yeah. that happen, not happened, happen between one character's chapter and another. And so the type of information and we'll get into this when we talk about Ariane two, but I feel like there's a lot of it's apparent that there's a lot of other stuff happening and a lot of other conversations being held and a lot of other pieces moving that we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. And so where that falls into the timeline, I think, is going to shed some interesting light when we get the full picture. But for now, we've just got these two chapters and the plot of this scenario that Ariane is going through from one perspective. And so it's kind of interesting to try to piece all that together. And folks have done that in a really real interesting way you can google Ariane winds of winter timeline and you're gonna get oh man ten thousand reddit threads um but and also just like hyper focus on everything that she says i know i was talking to chloe last night I know. or day before yesterday our friend chloe uh from girls gone canon podcast about this chapter and she pointed out a line to me where in Arian too, where Arian's talking about the rainwood and she's everything's so alive and she goes the the very air was green or the, the air seemed green. Mm-hmm. And that little that little piece there, for example, she believes is a an outright sort of clue from GRM saying that there's going to be some wildfire madness in King's Landing that she's going to be a part of. Interesting. Yeah. So hyper analysis on everything, of course, because that it's, it's, it's all that we have. But timelines are interesting. And with the nature of these two chapters, because they're very like travely. And sort of not really info dumpy, but travely and kind of inside of your mind, strangely paced. They are it feels kind like of, there's a lot of momentum. What were you gonna say? They are kind of info dumpy. You think so? The Ariane one, I think it's definitely so 
Ariane 1 is a chapter that I struggle with and mm-hmm. I think things make more sense in the context of Ariane 2 when things actually start to happen. But Ariane 1 is just a dump of randos and like a recap of where things left off in dance and kind of where things left off with the Dornish plot mm-hmm. and where folks are headed to, what the vibe is, what mm-hmm. Ariane's job is now that she's come back from her botched queen maker thing. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like Ariane 2 is when things actually start to move forward and we at least get some sense of what could actually happen between Dorne and these different Targaryen plots and John Connington and all this kind of stuff. But you were already thinking of that. You didn't need to necessarily read it in this way, right? In this first Ariane chapter. Right, right, right. right. So is that why you had trouble with it? You're, you're like, <laughs> why am I spinning my wheels yeah, we, with all of this? <laughs> we've tried to record this. We haven't tried to record this podcast. We've been talking about recording. And then we start to inevitably talking about the actual chapter. Yeah, itself. then we start talking about the chapters. wasted. It's happened like three times. It's okay. And I've had three existential crises about Ariane 1 uh-huh. because I I just struggle with the Dornish plot. I think that that's something that I've talk about a mm-hmm. lot and then so I felt like especially with that first chapter I just like I literally don't care and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in a better place after reading Ariane too and after <laughs> prepping to sit down but after just reading that first chapter and just really thinking about where A Song of Ice and Fire stands right now and the lack of winds of winter and how things left off in season eight it's so easy to kind of fall into an pessimistic or negative spiral about how like George R. R. Martin has lost his touch or this is really uninteresting or why are we spending so much time on these characters that don't matter we get so much information about so many different people that I don't care about didn't Mm -hmm. care about before not going to care about again in the future and I'm supposed to because it's all we have Mm -hmm. and so I think we spend a lot of time picking apart these chapters because it's the latest material it's the best roadmap for what we've got ahead of us but how much of that actually matters, you know? Mm. And so, to me, it's like, I have a hard time caring about this when it's <laughs> boring. I mean, You're right. Things- well, for what it's worth, we quickly left Dorne. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't spend a lot of time in Dorne in the Winds of Winter. We right. Just like, right. We, we got to Ghost Hill, it was like, all right, we're going to, like, sort of have a a recomposition or at least talk ment- mentally play out where our men could potentially go. The guys that are waiting right. in the bone way, whether it's going to be war or dragons and then heading off to Cape wrath and Griffin's roost. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an evacuation of the Dornish plot altogether, that but not is, really though. Right. We're still with, you know, Arian Martell, but still that stuff is interesting to me because I feel like we've been kind of in this, flux period of waiting for them to jump in and make a decision and participate in the plot in some sort of real and tangible way. Mm. I know that Marcella is somebody who, I mean, that that was a shot in, in the dark, sort of, but you They're get, really trying in Dorne. Well, and at the end of Ariane, too, when we look at going to Storm's End and meeting with John Connington, and, and Ariane is thinking a lot about who they should be siding with, and kind of the weight of that is on her shoulders, whether it's with John Connington or Fagon or Daenerys, who's super far away, or if they make decisions now, how will they be able to pull out or Mm -hmm. be perceived? Are Mm -hmm. they stuck in, does she even have a choice at this point to kind of decide who she wants to go with? Those are plots and situations that I feel like are finally making a real impact on what could be and is happening in Westeros. And so 
that momentum is exciting to me. Yeah, it definitely picks up toward the end, especially because like the decision that she makes yeah. will matter so much not only to her personal struggle with the way that she was raised and the structure of her family and uh, the way that, that the the people who lead Dorn kind of like seed power to each other. And also the the strange sort of like familial mythology that comes with being kin to Oberyn Martell at all. Right. And then having Oberyn Martell's daughters around and especially this young one that we meet. It's all it's all kind of uh, like a uh, – it feels like there's so much more going on with the government. And uh, Arian's pretty good at – like making us think back to those things because militarily or at least leadership wise, it seems like she's really plugged in. But I get the sense from these chapters that the struggle that we're really meeting in this story, at least for the part that Arian's playing in right now, is not about Dorn or mm-hmm. Westeros. It's about her and her father and, and her and brother. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting because that might not be really exciting to people reading for plot, military explosion, but George does a good job of giving us missions of elephants in the rainwood and this sort of mysterious, uh, what's his name? The the guy that Arion meets in, oh, instead yeah, of- Oh, uh, yeah, at the end. Instead of- it up. Uh, He has a really interesting name. Um, the guy who looks like a Targaryen. Lysonomar or something. Lysonomar, yeah. All Pretty interesting that, people. It is interesting, and, and these familial conflicts mm. are interesting, and this- Half of that first Ariane chapter is about whether or not she wants Quentin to be found for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Or I know that there's benefit to building the world, and I absolutely see the benefit to like the Fagon plot and all of that, and sure. how we're going to foil definitely now. Daenerys so after the plan. finale of Game of Thrones, I think absolutely, I totally see benefit in that plot. But something that I'm not interested personally as a reader is us spending so much time just spinning our wheels with histories and families and conflicts and places right. that we're going to spend 15 minutes on and then move on. Yeah, it's 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 strange. I wonder why I wonder what the decision here is. I I usually tip my hat to the author obviously because they've put this much work into the project and there's we hear George is referred to as a gardener and I think that's some responsibility off of where it goes maybe or some responsibility is taken off his shoulders a little bit from where it goes and some of the speed of it but I would like to think that still at the end of the day that that he's a master craftsman of a story and like while he is finding a way to tell us something in a way that makes sense and in a way that is cool I think that there's another level, like once you reach that plane of being able to express yourself really fluently, that that's where the sort of artistry, the skill, the, the, uh, uh, what's it called when you put your own spin on something like your own style, mm-hmm. I forget what technique, mm-hmm. his own, his own technique with the form, with literature and like what kind of story he wants to tell us. Like I'm thinking of the, the, uh, the epilogue when we meet Lady, Lady Stoneheart and, uh, how that was just like a, a course, all the chapters with Lady Stoneheart are just this, this amazing. Th- it's just like the, a really cool literary approach to really seemingly simple situations. And so I know that he's definitely good enough to do things that are impressive consistently and to change things in a way, to move things in a way that keeps us surprised and entertained. And so when I read these chapters, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. We don't have the original layout, plus these chapters are a little bit old. I'm curious as to what his modern approach to making a badass book will be. Mm -hmm. And so when I read this chapter, the first Arian one, I'm like curious Uh, For a lot of the same reasons that you are, and I think for a lot of the same reasons that people listening and reading on their own have with the Dornish plot overall. 
Like, why so much in this when I know, based off of everything else, we've read four books with you over and over, I know that this is leading to something and it's about where it's leading. And that everything matters and that right. there's pieces. Right. But why like this? If you're right. so good, why not finesse me in a way where it's like, give me this, but also make it really enjoyable while I do it. Right. Instead of feeling like I have to do a lot of homework because. For some reason. You know. Just, yeah. just because you, he knows you like it. Right. I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be exposed just because he knows I like it. Yeah. I want it to also be cool. And right. fun and and mysterious matter. and matter and there's definitely hints of that. Um, I really I really liked the second chapter. I really liked the change from the Dornish party leading from the sandy environment of Dorn, and as they go northward, more towards Storm's End, more toward the rest of the plot, the foliage all of the the life in the world becomes a little bit more there's a lot of things with like wart in it Mm -hmm. it's the kind of boggy area if you guys have ever played a video game or or read other books where it's like you're in a place where the very air is alive the very forest alive the very creatures are are working with the roots of the trees and everything is working in some kind of synchronous concert with each other and it's trying to express where Arion, or in, in her life, imagine if she's walking through all of this. It's this weird, like, specter of, of life, like, peering back at her. It's this strange metamorphosis when she leaves Dorne and moves into this future that's, like, unknowable. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all know, because we've read these books for so long, like, what she's getting into. But George does a good job of giving us the work, like, showing us as she meets these new people, as she reaches Griffin's Roost. right. What kind of people Their John Khan is working with, mm-hmm. and we're slowly exposed to like whether or not she should trust the situation. Meanwhile, knowing that this is all about this sort of problem that she's dealing with, and we get to judge her based on all the facts that we know about stuff. Like it doesn't matter that we know Halden Half Maester's past, and we know that we like him, that he spent time with Tyrion, that he's a guy that we, it's cool that that's happening, and we have crossover there. But it's more so about, like, what is she going to do with the information rather than us just being impressed that this is happening? And I think that that's a new way for George to tell this kind of problem in A Song of Ice and Fire. And that's why I say it felt kind of a feast for crowy to me. Because that's sort of how Brienne is when she's traveling through the middle of Westeros. Mm-hmm. It's like, we know all the stuff that she's doing, like, and the people that she's meeting, a lot of the stuff. It's like, it's not going to change anything other than her life. Right. But for some reason, because it was in the heart of Westeros and because like Nimble Dick, for example, like we, everything became like pretty important and became like the moment grew very big in itself Mm -hmm. that I think it turned into a lot of people's favorite stuff. Yeah. And I, so I have hope that maybe this could be as well. Like maybe there's some sort of unexpected or unsuspecting turn to all of this. And that might just be that it gets really cool and there's like information that we could not get channeled through another character that we really like in a certain way. Like, for example, Arian may meet a really terrible fate and we may have like some time to have that heat up and become interesting for us mm-hmm. rather than it being like John or Arya or something Yeah, no, in I the th- middle of King's Landing. I think that's a really interesting – it's a really interesting perspective to put her – the context of her story kind of in the context of somebody like Brienne in the sense that they're kind of off doing their own thing, seemingly cut off from the other major plot 
attempting to participate and to move things along in their own way while also being like seemingly millions of miles away Mm -hmm. from but not at all from what's actually but not at all being very much tied up in what's going on and especially you know so we we get to the end of Ariane 2 um and she's being told that in the morning she's going to be put on a ship on her way to Storm's End from Griffin's Roost to go treat or meet with John Connington and, and all of that. There's questions about whether Storm's End has actually been taken or if whether she's going to be... they're actually like sieging it right now. Exactly. Or if she's going to be thrust into the middle of battle. Can she trust the Golden Company? Is she being fed the right information? Folks around her don't seem too thrilled with kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. There's lots of questions about what all of this means. She's got questions about whether or not she even has a choice. And so... Her involvement with the Golden Company or her involvement in this Fagon plot, whether it is to a detrimental end or whether it's in some support. Because as was pointed out by that guy whose name neither of us can pronounce, it's, it's like, and, and this is something that I think is interesting because she leaves on this quest to find out more about Quentin or find out more about Daenerys and instead runs into these ideas of another Targaryen that also has a claim that, hey, he happens to be here. Mm -hmm. Daenerys is millions of miles away doing her own thing. Who knows what? With my brother. Exactly. Why don't we think about this guy? Like, why don't we? And so who's somebody who technically is my guest family as well. Um, is one of the arguments. Or, or not. Or not at all. <laughs> That's where it gets interesting because it's like you're talking about all these choices, these potential choices that she has to make. And it affects the plot mm-hmm. in a big way. But it also really tells us about like where the struggle and her family, like where the seat of power in Dorne like, is currently, like how far it's gotten. At the beginning of the first chapter, Doran stands on his gouted legs and his swollen <laughs> feet. And yeah. he kisses her goodbye, which is a pretty big deal. And it looks like this is like work mode time. It looks like everyone's engaged. And previously, like when I first met Ariana, this may, I think, have part of a like coloring effect on a lot of her, just enjo- the enjoyment of her chapters a little bit. I think it's a bit of an unfair thing that happens. Maybe it's just me that's doing it. Maybe other people have done the same thing. But... I feel like since I met Arian through the eyes of Eris Oakhart, that my first impression of her kind of like stuck around for too long. Mm-hmm. And like I thought of her as a certain sort of a, a certain sort of mind. And now that I have more time with her in these very specific POV chapters, less so like uh, thematically driven like the other ones that we have with her in dance, but like these really specific mind, mind, you know, like we're traditional in, inside of the head of her, like in, in her decisions moving forward. I'm learning that the impression that I got of her through Eris was just so wrong. And not only through Eris, but through Marcella and that yeah, whole plot. And I heard mean, the idea of her plot at all. Yeah, it was just very silly. Yeah. Which and she calls her she calls it silly. She does. In yeah. the beginning of her of her of Ariane One, she says do, 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 do. Calls it. She calls it a clumsy conspiracy. She says, I was a foolish, willful girl playing at the Game of Thrones like a drunkard rolling dice. Always a sucker for those Game of Thrones references. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's playing Cybass now. She's trying to learn the, the specifics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that. But now. She's practicing with Damon. It's cool. So maybe we're supposed to see her as, and, and she thinks a lot about her role mm-hmm. and who she is to Dorne and who she is to her father mm-hmm. as he stands up to say goodbye to her. She calls that an act of love and an act of faith. Sure, yeah. 
She's like heartfelt all of a sudden. And I thought that she was cold on the inside. I thought that she was manipulating Eris in such a smooth and complete way. But he just projected so much onto her. Mm -hmm. Like he just projected her to be this thing. But also. And it just wasn't accurate. It wasn't accurate. On the other side of that. She looks at the way she manipulated Eris and... She feels bad about it. She feels bad about it, but she also realizes that she might not be able to do the same thing for somebody else. Which is so silly, because yeah. she totally can. She probably totally could. Totally can. But she's like, I don't know if my powers will be, able to be as useful. They're definitely more strong when she's in Sunspear, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. But, I don't know, it's tough when there's people that are taking, uh, you know, like military strongholds. There's a lot of men, a lot of women running around. I mean, a lot of this stuff is tough. She does have power, and that's interesting. It's not good that John Con is interested, seemingly not interested in women. So that's not going to work here, which will be an interesting to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But like I said, since she's not the woman that I thought she was originally, I don't think that like that's going to be her overall approach to the to the matter. Anyway, she might do it and embarrass herself in some way, but she's not as cold and calculating as it kind of seemed, and so. The experience that we're having with her in this first chapter, making her way across Dorne, leaving the Water Gardens, making her way to Ghost Hill, and talking uh, specifically about the way that their military is spread is, like, kind of fascinating because she's pretty fallible mm-hmm. as a person. And it's just like, this is this is Dorne? Yeah. This is as good as they got right now. Well, it seems like she is finally buying into this larger, like, Durant's plan. Right, yeah. She's finally kind of along for the ride and, and seeing how the pieces have been falling. And she sticks up for her father at the end, talking about how he's a calculated man who only gets into things that he knows can be beneficial for him. How can participating with John Connington be beneficial for them if the Golden Company are just going to flee if things go south like they've done before. Yeah, just more complication. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe there's – not maybe. I mean, I'm your argument is pretty good that there's a lot of growth there for her. And she's kind of made her mistakes and she's here to – Make them on a bigger stage too. Make them on a bigger stage or maybe really start to do something for her people. I don't know. I don't know about that, honestly. I, it just seems so zoomed in. Do you think and she's I, making a mistake? I, n- not necessarily. I, th- I was more so talking about for her people. Mm. It just doesn't seem to be the point of view. Maybe I should read it a few more times. I just don't seem. I just doesn't seem to me like she's really concerned with the citizens necessarily. No, but she's concerned. I think with her father. Yeah, a little bit. But she's also sort of tied up on this on this uh, Quentin thing, and and I was not fully aware of this partially because of the the point of view problem with Eris and me just kind of not being smart enough to pick up on the subtleties I guess when or she was in the it's tower. Interesting. Maybe or maybe it wasn't clear or like I said maybe I was just projecting a lot on Ariane. But uh it seems like like to me it, she wasn't overly concerned about Quentin until Damon brought it up in the first chapter. Mm. And it was like presented to her as an idea. And that has a lot of like layers to it itself with the kind of person that he is in her life and the mm-hmm. kind of ear that she he would have. And like, uh, what a strange time this is. This is post foiled plot. Marcella's ears missing. Gerald's dark stars. Dark stars. It, it's, it's crazy. You know, he's poison. Maybe he's going to come kill us. Maybe we're going to root him out and kill him. And, uh, you know, now all of these decisions are on our table. I'm no longer being locked up. It's just like kind of raw. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm less critical about specific things that they decide in the moment because it kind of seems like they're flying by the seat of their pants. And that seems like how she feels about the Quentin thing. 
But then she starts to remember how unfair it is that her life is the way that it is right. with the way that the power is spread. But with my new introduction to her, or at least my new feelings about her, I'm curious as to how much she really cares about the power. She seemed to feel pretty bad about what happened to Eris. She seems to feel like really happy about her father standing up and doing something sweet. She seems to like lean into the the moments of goodness and I don't know how much she's really interested in what she's doing, but I mean, she's committed to it in such a huge way that it doesn't really matter that she's going to make it her thing. Now that she is, there's a point in the first chapter where she remembers how her father had promised that she was the heir. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe she feels a little more security in the sense that she's the heir. She's got the word from dad. What Quentin's role is, is just to woo Daenerys and to just get them on her side on the Dorn side, like she's got a little bit more confidence in where she stands that may lend itself to allow her to handle things differently. Right. But do you think that she's going to turn that into a kind of rivalry with any progress that her brother potentially makes? And we know that he's dead. She doesn't know that. Yeah. So do you think that that'll make her more fiery? I guess, or more more willing to be like, yes, let's move on the stuff with Fagon. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see the kind of position that she's in if and when she reached Storm's End. I think she's definitely getting the Storm's End. But where where Storm where Storm's End is when we get there. Like whether or not it's been sacked. Yeah. Right. That might change things. Probably should read more sample chapters. Okay, you haven't <laughs> Wait, have you read all the sample chapters? Not yet, no. No. But there's probably a, a battle at Storm's End, and all this gets taken care of. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think we would know about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> or George R. R. Martin just needs to like get released in. Maybe. I, I mean, know. people have talked a lot about the clash that is going to happen now with uh, the Golden Company moving in such a serious force into Westeros. And we've been, it's been published. We've been talking about it for a long time, but uh, not a lot of people have been quoting specifically to me, these parts in the sample chapter. It's strange. It's kind of like weird uncharted territory that people don't like necessarily like directly reference unless it's an essay, mm-hmm. unless it's in quote. But I feel like being part of like it being a part of the way I conversationally speak about the stories is, is going to help me understand a lot more, obviously, because there's more stuff that's published. Like, more information, the better. But it seems like there's a little bit of, like, uh, weird information that's... It feels weird because it's, like, new and slightly private because you have to seek it out. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, sort of guarded. Like, I have this secret knowledge because I've read the sample chapters. Well... Do you you get what I'm saying? Yes, and also so much because... This stuff isn't in Game of Thrones. It wasn't in Game of Thrones. Any of these plot lines were not even remotely in Game Mm -hmm. of Thrones. And so I think when we've been talking about Endgame for so long, we've been talking about what that means from a show perspective because we knew that both were going to look very different. When you look at somebody like Fagon not being involved at all, to some people that's detrimental to the true story, you know? So. And you read Fire and Blood, and it has, if if you're. A scientific reader of Martin, you're just like, uh, well, look at all these potential nudges to say this is what's going to happen in Westeros because it's going to unfold in this way. So I find it to be really attractive if you're if you've got some extra time on your hands 
And, you know, there's only a handful of sample chapters before Wins is out to just comb over each and every word of these and to try to build out potential things. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do right now. That's why I was leading (laughs) to ask you, actually. (laughs) What I think is going to happen? Yeah, like, Uh, what do you think about the Golden Company? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I think about the Golden Company. I mean, this is interesting. If Dorne really does side, because it seems like she can she can do that, I was wondering how it was going to happen when I finished Dance, and now it seems like we have the answer. If Dorne really does side with Fagon, and Danny's not here yet, we know through the Barry chapters that have been unreleased, of which I have read, that uh, the struggle in Marine is like reaching a, a boiling point. Right. And they're going to transition from it eventually. They have you know, to. We still yeah. don't know what Danny's doing, but it'll probably mirror something similar in the show. There's going to be this like this contingency that's already going on right in Westeros at the time. I just find it to be it, it's on a level of complexity because we're talking about Storm's End, which and is we're talking about all of the men in Dorne either fighting, they're fighting either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, so and they've been fighting. The scale is already way beyond where the show yeah. ever went already at this point. So I'm just curious as to like what all these extra men and elephants will do to Cersei. Because it seems like that's the thing. And remember, Stannis is still alive too. Right. I was just about to say. You know, I think that specifically, I think that most of this, I think everything that's happening with Fagon and the Golden Company and this entire plot is meant to put Daenerys in a an uncomfortable position and for her to question her legitimacy and who she is. I think we saw her go through a lot of that in a very different, less nuanced way in season eight. But I feel like this is, I think to me personally, the most interesting thing that's going to come out of this conflict is going to be how Daenerys handles it and how Daenerys responds to it. Mostly from my bias, because I see who Daenerys is as one of these main characters. Mm -hmm. I'm most interested in how she's going to react when she realizes that she's not the first Targaryen back to seemingly Westeros and that she's missed the mark and that she's been tied up in Marine and all these different questions about what it means to be the legitimate heir and all of her hopes and dreams of folks welcoming her home with open arms and realizing that she's never really been here before and she doesn't know anything about these people or this place. All of this plot to me is most interesting in that context. Um and so, that's how I. The same thing is going to happen to Cersei. You know, they're going to like if if Fagon represents that for Daenerys, this kind of like. F- so what it does for her, not really connected to the point I was making, but just because it's on my mind, what it does for her is when she arrives, a lot of that mystique is gone that she's sort of depended on. A lot of the bravado that's sort of built in. Mm-hmm. Like if if the Dornish sail upon King's Landing, and then they have Targaryen banners, that's only going to be like super scary one time. And right. so that Especially might, if they don't have dragons. Right. So that's Fagon. But if they have dragons, yeah. you're right though. If they have dragons, it's a whole new scary thing. Right. right. The elephants are pretty cool too. I know, but they're like, how many dragons do you have? Yeah. Like, the we got one. the one. Like, is it, does it fly? Like, yeah. Mm, maybe. He's, he's a man grown. Daenerys has actual dragons and that, lends itself to the lore and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But, but still, exactly like you're saying. A lot of the, the rugs can be pulled off on her. But for uh, Cersei, Fagon is just, I mean, a, a, an insane thorn in her side. And it's just a, a way that I haven't really 
pointed my mind towards so much because I just haven't taken the Fagon stuff seriously enough, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like, I imagine them landing in Dorne and talking to Doran or something and having it. But this is this is different mm-hmm. and way more interesting to me because it's just riddled with potential folly. Like, these are the guys that are representing Dorne. It's lucky that we know enough about John Con to know that that letter. I should read that letter. Yeah, we should pull that up. Pulling out my notes. That that letter that they that he sent to them was like it was sincere. It felt sincere. Here it is. You will remember me, I pray. To Prince Doran of House Martell. You will remember me, I pray. I knew your sister well. And was a leal servant of your good brother. I grieve for them as you do. I did not die no more than did your sister's son. To save his life, we kept him hidden, but the time for hiding is done. A dragon has returned to Westeros to claim his birthright and seek vengeance for his father and for the Princess Elia, his mother. In her name, I turn to Dorne. Do not forsake us. John Connington, Lord of Griffin's Roost. Hand of the king. Hand of the true king. That's a letter. Everyone's a hand of the true king. <laughs> yeah, do not forsake us. Do you us. like my note below it? Imagine, okay. This, In all caps. <laughs> yeah, this is all caps. Well, it, it concerned me. So imagine getting this letter mm-hmm. and not knowing if it was true. Well, especially somebody like John Connington who's been famously gone for so long. And famously dead for so long mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Not knowing if it was true and knowing that Westeros is in, this is what's really interesting. Remember, like, the stuff with Tycho just before this and how the, the Bravo Sea, not only the Iron Bank are hedging their bets, but people like Illyrio Mopatis and untold others that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. People that would like be on an intellectual level with Euron, but have a lot more wealth and money to separate themselves from guys like him. Mm-hmm. But they're the same age. So you guys graduated the same yes. class. Class of a seven. Yeah, you and Illyrio, you guys are all this. <laughs> come on, guys, just get along. Anyway, that's another point. But imagine... Imagine getting this letter and not knowing if it was true. And it's like, okay, how do we receive you? Do we just, like, accept your ships? Okay, come land with all of your – do we have to have an army right. on the beach to make sure that this landing army right. is not just just here? Well, and especially just, because – I've got a fake guy. Like, if Fagon could be fake. Exactly. He's probably – he's fake. But so you, you get now ti- what? You get tied up in this fake plot. Then come time for things to go down, Dorne gets wiped off the map because they were they chose the wrong side. They chose the wrong side, which I think like that's one of the big um, criticisms of Duran at all is that he just really plays so slowly. What's that metaphor that he uses about grass or something waiting in the grass to strike a snake in the grass? I can't can't remember anyway, but some sort of imagery of. Spending a lot of time kind of weighing and hedging your bets for all of that plotting and planning for years and years and years and years to be. For Arian to become such a critical part that you were not planning for just shows you like how, you know, things go. Right. And for this letter to show up and all your people are scattered all over. I need you to do this for me. And Quentin's over here and I'm just going to be here. It probably is not the way he thought it was going to go. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And. Like you said, the whole Fagon plot, like, is that real? That's something that's heavily debated. It doesn't even matter, though, because, like, what it does, it's the same deal with with Arian going into the Storm's End right now. It's all about her decision, whether or Mm -hmm. not she wants to say Doran is fully signed up. And whether or not that does fully sign them up, whether or not them losing potentially at Storm's End or somewhere else, like, would would throw Doran off the map. This is all uh, uh, just a a time in the game that they get to either play or not play and things are shaken up so much right now in Westeros everyone's hedging their bets it seems like an interesting time to go in and so for 
Fagon's whole deal to be, and I say Fagon, I just mean like representative of his men, including all of the people that we've met, including the people that we haven't met, and including all the Golden Company. If Fagon's task is to shake things up. It doesn't matter if he's real or not. For, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter because people can are going to. Cersei's going to have to react to him. Mm-hmm. All the men in King's Landing that are fighting, all the all the the banners that are loyal to House Lannister or to the Crown that have to be are going to are going to have to face it. The uh, Mace Tyrell's people they're going to have to face it, whether he's real or not. And Dorne gets to use him, or I guess Arianne gets to decide to use him, whether he's real or not. And it all just makes the the further conflict for the Crown you know, garbled up. It, it complicates things. And it's just, you know, a song of ice and fire to do that through the decision of Ariane sort of like juxtaposed against how her father treated the, the plot with Quentin, Mm -hmm. like how much that matters. It all sort of comes back to these real roots and that's neat. Just like there's wild werewoods hidden in the forest. There's always this hint of yeah. the of the greater game. Feathers has the seven birds with them, you know. I'm suspicious of all potential mystery like that. Right. The tower and um I've been reading a lot about the theories about a song of ice and fire and towers and like this tower and storm's end and its thickness and the thickness of the walls and all of the imagery associated with like which part of the story we're in right now and how this is a problem we're facing through a character that we don't really know. I like draw my own conclusions and I assume that George is telling a sort of meta story on top of it because why wouldn't he? I assume that that's what he's doing and I'm having a good time with it. It's really weird to have such a big potential thing go down for so many people and it all to be about make-believe. It's so political at this yeah. point, you know? It's just like everyone's using whatever excuse. And, and it's it, it's reminiscent of real life, like a false flag operations almost, where it's, you know, those are like a, something that people have a, it's like a, the root of conspiracy theories where a government is positioned to do something that they're not proud of doing mm-hmm. based on a, a like a, a, a thing that happened that they had maybe more to do with yeah. than they would like to say so they could potentially start something new. That's like what this all is for everyone. That mm-hmm. was like the plan for Lyria, Varys, Littlefinger. That's all at the top and people who – refuse to see the sort of meta game to it and 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 choose to live with uh like a stark like uh stoicism and connection to their history and to the the honor and lore bestowed to their houses like gives them some kind of order but then there's people like maybe potentially John Con even that and definitely Illyrio that see how that's all just kind of silly and they're like working the actual strings. Gives them that leg up. Yeah, because they're not worried about the uh, the romantic part of it. Yeah, and that's just Fagon is just a big representation of that, just spearing right into Westeros with all of their dregs, not all of them, but just like the leftover of the the Dance with <laughs> yeah. Dragons, and, yeah. and and just. It's it's great. You know what I mean? Like seasoned, strange people, people that look like Targaryens. I mean. We've met so many folks through the the eyes of people like Tyrion that have spent time in Essos, but just imagine it's become more and more common inside of uh, Westeros. That'll become really interesting. But it's just that part of it is really cool to me because it's un, it, to me it was unexpected to yeah. unfold in this way. Yeah, it's uh, if he does it right, it it'll be really into, cool. Yeah, 
Well, then, with all of that being said, what do you think? The same question you asked me, what do you think then that wrench is, or what do you think happens, or Mm. what do you think is next for Ariane, but also just for this general, like, Storm's End and this plot as a whole? I think that she's been traveling for a while, and that feeling like she's a part of something is going to be cool. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what their host looks like. John Con has got a stable point of view. And I think that she's going to be really relieved by that because she's used to seeing that in people. Mm -hmm. And whenever he's not like most men, I think that she'll be relieved by that and intrigued by that as well. And I don't really know what progress they have, but uh, I, I know that the imagery associated with taking storms in means a lot. Yeah. I don't really know if the feet on the ground story is like, it's clear that we don't need to be that zoomed in because so much of this, just these two chapters are just so fast. We go to so many places, there's so many descriptions. We meet maesters. We meet, uh, there's that lady, uh, I think she's a, the young sort of, I guess George describes her as a portly young girl that has the, the green dreams about the dragons dancing. Yes. Yeah. That was just, the most chilling moment of all these chapters for mm, me. I go still. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And we still get it, but it's more of like, uh, it's more of like a a reminiscent thing to an earlier story. Like he's given us something to have a heartfelt like warmness to, but we're very quickly moving, like marching toward a, a different kind of tale. And uh, you're asking like what I think will happen. Mm-hmm. What kind of notes are you reading right now? I'm looking for the quote about the dragon's dancing. Oh, okay. Um, I think that. Cersei makes it. I don't think that she gets taken by these people. I think that would be kind of unsatisfying. That would but be she has sand wild. snakes in her midst. She does. And we have sand snakes in the And you know what town. sand snakes are known yeah. for. Overage oh. kids, dude, they're so tough. <laughs> God, they're so tough. They're rambunctious. So in the beginning of this chapter where it's like, um, I wrote it down because I was so annoyed. Oh, yeah, sand snakes about Elia. It's like she has, she's a sand snake, so she has a mind of her own. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> holding up horns right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely the vibe. Little Elia. Why does it have to be like that? Why does it have to be like that? Honestly, you know, that really there's concerns me. There's so much me. good stuff. Yeah. Why does it have to be like that? I just hope that maybe it hasn't been really like modernly edited. It's like, George, you don't really, you don't have to do that. That's kind of like low-hanging fruit. You don't have to do that. But I get it. I mean, it's nice to enjoy things. And if you're in a chapter, you like might as well give people a little a little side path to run down. I don't mean literally, like in the caves like she did, but something to like romanticize. Think about Maya Stone early. I really liked feeling more from her, not just because she was a secret bastard. And not just because she was really good at goading up the mountain and down the mountain. But uh Maybe, maybe it's wore off a little bit. Maybe there's been too many Maya stones for me to meet this new sand That's snake. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, maybe this new sand snake will like meet Arya and they'll become best friends and they'll kill Cersei together. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Arya has so many squads and companions that we've spent so much time building up. Why do we need to throw someone else into the mix? Well, because Dorne. I get the function here, though, with, with Dorne as a whole. And plus, like I said, we're not even in Dorne anymore. I know. No, I do, too. And, and like I said, we get to the end of this Ariane 2 chapter, and we really see some movement. 
So it's like rescued itself a little, in your eyes? I mean, a little bit. I still, it's not my favorite. I still think that George R. R. Martin is not being finessed enough in the way that he. We're spending a lot of time learning about Ariane right now when it's clear that there's a lot of other stuff to learn too. And I know that's also our own, my own personal problem as somebody who spends so much time in these stories and reading these chapters and should, were, were these chapters written to be looked at a magnifying glass and, and gone through with a fine tooth comb? And there's so much you can gather from yeah. these chapters if you go through it with a fine tooth comb. And I've read the articles and seen the videos and dived in. And I just, to me, all of that feels like such a far cry from what really matters here, which is Fagon plot, how this is going to affect King's Landing, how this is going to affect Daenerys. And so that's why it's frustrating to me because I feel like George R. R. Martin, in my opinion, is so much more practiced than that and can do the same things and can bring about the same interesting things without forcing us to spend so much time in a world that doesn't matter mm-hmm. and doing it just because he can. And I'm not saying that that's why he's doing it, but that's sometimes how I feel. And okay. so, um, do you like the food descriptions though? Talk. Like all the pages of it? I I guess. I but, like the food, but I mean, this, me is, the food. this is something else is that I struggled with the feast for crows until mm-hmm. we really have gone through it especially in our reading order, mixed with dance. The two of them, I feel like it makes, it's much more interesting. But the pacing of that is something that I had a really hard time with until I really, really spent the time to become practiced and understand the full context of everything. And then it becomes much more enlightening and interesting and vivid and bright. But I don't know. We got stuff to do. We do got stuff (laughs) to do. We got stuff to do. Yeah. So It's good to have the, for me, to have the bones set up. Since the 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 Fagon stuff is going to be so much more consequential, like I t- said before, I had sort of a a uh, mind's eye picture of how the Golden Company and John Con were going to communicate with Dorne and potentially have them on their side. And now I have a way better idea of that, and so it makes it way less silly to me because mm-hmm. it was kind of a little bit silly. Not like seriously, but it was a little bit silly because I was so concerned about so many other things. Like yeah. Bravos. Right. I just want to know about the House of Black and White, that kind of stuff. Right. But now that I have a path and a person to associate it with, I I I get it. And she's so flawed compared to how I thought she was. Mm-hmm. And I guess I like that. Do we like flawed people for some reason? Of course. Love Gosh. the underdog. Wow. Wow, learning so much about myself. I know. Today. <laughs> Me too. Oh man. So if Cersei doesn't fall, is she captured? Is there no. is there a bigger fight? No, no, no. I don't think that I don't think that Cersei I don't think that this is Cersei's fight. I mean it's going to be her problem, but I don't think this is like I said earlier, this all just lends itself to be mostly in my mind Daenerys' own existential crisis, midlife mm. crisis. That's where I see all of this heading. Everything else is going to be inconsequential to the final plot, in my opinion. But we get the truth of things along the way? It's about the friends we made along the way. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So that was cool. Cape Wrath is now basically dotted along the whole coastline with Golden Company, with Griffin's men, 
thought it was really funny how when they got to Ghost Hill, they were talking about Griffin's men. And I'm like, they just got the letter. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't just get the letter, but they got a pretty private letter. It's got to be real. And it's just so funny how things don't ever stay secret. And none of this is really, it's it's not really about anything that it's about. Yeah. It's about all the people that are there doing their thing. And there's so many people like, there's like not so many people, there's some people like John that are still, I guess he's, you know, in limbo right now, but that are just, are just minutely concerned with things that are so real and true. And then there's these large groups of people. And then there's someone like Cersei who doesn't care about either of those things. So I'm really interested in how it all comes together. And I'm glad to have some more soul and definition behind what the the plight of Fagon and company will be, thanks to these two Aryan chapters. Right, from a perspective that's not inside the whole Fagon plot. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Because John has a really good – John Khan has a really good uh, heart, and he just seems so – like hopeful about everything and it's just going to happen for them in this certain way. And this is a lot more human approach to it. Right. The you know? rose colored glasses are kind of yeah taken away. Yeah. I really want to read a Cersei chapter now and just like know where her head is and know that all this is cooking. I am so dang excited for T-Wow. downfall. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's end every T-Wow of a sample chapter episode. Talk about how excited we are to okay, get the whole cool. book. <laughs> Love it. We could start every episode with a joke about how Winds of Winter still isn't out. Oh, and no. end every oh, episode no. with a how much we're amped for it. Oh, man. I think we've already done that twice. So, joke's on us. Uh-oh. Well, we only have a certain amount of sample chapters left. So, yeah. maybe we'll improve slightly. It's like our summer special. What were you going to say about Cersei? I'm just excited to see her downfall in her head. Watch her just like spiral because her chapters in Feast get a little repetitive. But to me, that's what makes it interesting because you think about these different personality traits. They're just separated by too much other. men. That's the problem. Too much military, too much, too much space, like space. Too much it's just time. ridiculous. They're all just people. There are 10 million different plots that we're trying to comb together. The, the real Miranese knot was the finishing <laughs> the end of A Song of Ice and Fire. And you get all these people in some sort of interesting way. George just spun a web that I think got a little out of control. In my yeah, opinion. but it all it all makes sense, though. I mean, I guess. We it don't does. know that yet. I think it does. It's just, it's so silly. It's so funny how this is where Dorne is right now. But it's so true to the whole thing. What do we, we could have cut Dorne completely what would we have missed out on? Uh, I think we would have missed out on like learning. See, like through through this perspective of both Arian and Doran, we're learning not just only that the Ario Hoda is amazing with his long axe. We're not only learning that, or that Dark Star was a guy, or that <laughs> here's the ruins of Summer Hall. Remember that. What what we're getting is as a look at a big like a, a major seed of Westeros and like what they've become after all this time. It's just it. It's supposed to, in, in my mind, it, it, it's like part of the texture that adds the human element to everything. Whereas in the North, we have so much fate and, and you know, the direwolves. And uh, magic it, and, and the, intrigue. The stag and killing, or, uh, getting, you know, killing the, the mom direwolf. And it's all, it's, there's so much. And there's the wall, there's old Nan. And this is like a ladder later in the books, like Journey South. And picture into what they're doing. And I think it's good that I can learn more about it and that that it's not a mystery. If I wasn't reading about it, I would constantly be curious about it. Just like I am with all the other unexplored areas in Essos. I'm like, I would like a POV chapter there, even though it might seem silly. Like, I I want it. I think that 
maybe the way that the show because it's so popular, unfortunately, it colors so many people's opinions. I think it just like colored a lot of people's opinions about Dorn. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But Dark Star does seem kind of cartoony. <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. Dorn was butchered in the show, and Dorn did not get the just. I mean, that's a stupid conversation that we've had and can have and will have millions of times. But I still feel like they're, from my own personal personal opinion, I feel like. It's uh, too much extracurricular activities. It's a lot of extracurricular activities, for sure. But these are long books. But they don't have to be. No, they don't have to be. But they don't follow the point of view of one person. Right. So they're, it's going to feel like we're going we're gonna to miss. You know, I, I remember having old conversations with my friends that love this series. And they would skip, like at the end of a chapter, they would skip to that person's next chapter. Mm-hmm. To be like, what happened? Because uh, that ending was so crazy. And, uh, you know, that's not, the, I, I guess. Maybe not I just the, don't have the patience because I would do the same thing. <laughs> it depends on how how sanctimonious you want to be about the story. Like, oh, it has to be done this certain way. Obviously, we've thrown out that out the window because we're doing a combined we're reading, order, reading order. And now we're doing the sample What's chapters <laughs> before we finish the reading order. It's all, I think, you you take it as it comes and you experience it sort of chronologically along the way. If that makes any sense. You can have a, a more designed approach. You can like listen to the audiobooks and and never read a word in your life and have those characters sort of be voiced by someone else and those names not be the names that you put into it. It's all a very personal experience. But what George is doing is laying out the math for it all to work. And I think that's one of the reasons why people appreciate Fire and Blood so much, like diehard fans, even though it seems to be against the point. I think you were saying that a few days ago. It's like does has he lost interest? The, his bio at Worldcon doesn't oh, yeah. doesn't mention <laughs> off about a song of ice and fire at all. I think that's more indicative to like them being really funny and hilarious. Or also like he's just a guy who loves to go to cons and just wants to be out here yeah, as exactly. his little mini author and relive his glory con days. Like I get that, but I was just like, what's the point of it all? Mm-hmm. I had this really intense conversation with my cousins at some family Sunday dinner a couple weeks ago about how. They're of the opinion, and this kind of spiraled into kind of, this is how I came into these chapters with this lens of view, is how they're of the opinion, and they've read the books multiple times, watched the show multiple times, that George R. R. Martin just really be wild and out. And yeah, just like, <laughs> which is completely possible. And which is just, you know, took this very interesting, tightly woven, succinct, story and just blew it up to become something more epic than it like than it didn't necessarily need to be and that it was just kind of spiraling in on itself and so we had this long argument and conversation <laughs> over the dinner table about about this and then I went home and read these area chapters and I was like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Dorn sucks but anyway I don't know. Like I said, 10 million times in this episode, how this plays in with Fagon and the Storm's End thing, mm-hmm. that's interesting to me. That's going to be cool. Does Arya need to be part of that? We're going to find out. When A Song of Ice and Fire is over, someone can tell me the purpose of Dorne, and then we'll, everything will be fine. I think I just tried to, but it didn't work, <laughs> did it? <laughs> no. Let me get some of our friends in here. We can talk a little bit better about this stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, yeah. All right. Here's my question. Do we do one own or two owns? Like one own for each chapter. To me, they kind of roll into one. You can do one for each, but if you want to do one, that's fine. 
So I'm going to give my first own to, or my Ariane one own to something we already briefly touched on, but Tiora, is that how you pronounce her name? Tiora's Mm -hmm. dream about, and there's a lot that went into this, but Tiora raised her eyes from the cream cakes on her plate. It was, it is dragons. Dragons said her mother, Tiora, don't be mad. I'm not, they're coming. How could you possibly know that? Her sister asked, a note of scorn in her voice. One of your little dreams? Tiara gave a tiny nod, chin trembling. They were dancing in my dream. And everywhere the de- the dragons danced, the people died. Which I think is a really great foreshadowing into what's to come with this conflict. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought that that was really poignant. So is that one of those moments when you're reading it and you're like, okay, we I get that people have prophecies. Did we need one right now? Was that something that needed to happen? Did that cheapen it for you? So that you liked that. I like that. See, I <laughs> There's get so, no rhyme or reason. I get kind of annoyed by, oh, really? by old stuff being brought because up. Because I think that something like that is such a small, like subtle nod to hey. Everyone's gonna die. Yeah, and just whole I I just love like the, the play on words with though. the the dragon eating its own tail. Like mm-hmm. that's the banner she would see. It's like, well, no, that's the banner <laughs> of this house. Yeah, this is where they live. It's like, well, actually, it's also the banner that she happened to see right now. Right. Like while uh, she's like making in, this decision, it's about a little everything. in your face. Yeah, I get it. It's cool. That's how like life unfolds mm-hmm. in a strange way. Like if you take a lot of mushrooms, and George is doing that in the book for Arion, which is interesting. Yeah, which is funny, but yeah. I liked it. Cool. Um, And then my second own for Ariane 2 is just an own to what's to come. Is that allowed? I just own to her journey to Storm's End and what she's going to find. I'm going to give my own in the first chapter to Doran Martell for standing. I don't know how good he can stand or how much it hurt him to do so. Seems to be pretty painful. I think about his feet bursting like little grapes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making faces. (laughs) It's really painful. Uh, Okay. Also, uh, honorary own to Darkstar for still... Still being out here. Still being out here. Love that guy. Causing problems. That was before when I was just a girl. I'm a woman now. My father's daughter. I've learned that lessons. So, she's changed. Or so she uh, shout out to that to yeah. to her being changed and it being proven because it was written right there. That's not a matter of opinion, everyone. She's really focused on this cause. And uh, I'm going to give my own for the second chapter to the description of Storm's End. Mm. So here we go. Legend said it was raised by Brandon the Builder to withstand the fury of a vengeful god. Its curtain walls were the highest and strongest in all the seven kingdoms, 40 to 80 feet in thickness. Jesus, think about that. Its mighty windowless drum tower stood less than half as tall as the high tower of Old Town, but rose straight up in place of being stepped with walls thrice as thick as those to be found in Old Town. No siege tower was tall enough to reach Storm's End's battlements. Neither Manganel nor Trebuchet could hope to breach its massive walls. Does Connie then think to mount a siege? She wondered, how many men can he have? Long before the castle fled the Lannisters would dispatch an army to break any such siege. That way is hopeless, too. Something's going down. Something's going down. It might as well go down right now with perceivably the most insane stronghold we have. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing to do. I think that's a great meeting point right now 
for all this power before it explodes on places like Casterly Rock, if it goes there, or King's Landing, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Storm's end, everybody. All right. So that's it. Those are our owns. Those are owns for Arian 1 and 2. Now it's time oh. for your owns. Our first own from our friend Chloe, the queen of love and booty. The unknowing third special guest on this episode. <laughs> owned to Teora, Talon, and Elias Sand for their creepy possible foreshadowing moments. You could have died, died, died. Oh, we didn't talk about that. In the cave, that was creepy. Yeah. Peter at P94 at home says, owned to the fact that Ariane may have a major role left to play. That dude in the series finale from Dorne is a mystery. Meyer, 27, at Stacy 27. Owned to the children of the forest for the visual of the badass cave with all the faces carved. Creepy, but I love it so much. We forgot to talk about that, too. <laughs> How do we not talk about the cave? <laughs> because there's so much going on with this future plot. But... Right. I don't know if that's a good excuse. It's not a good excuse. We did a bad job. <laughs> At Brendan B. Fish, owned to Sir Damon Sand for throwing enough overcast with a chance of clouds to shade at Ariane the entire chapter. Mm-hmm. If Prince Duran meant to send you into the middle of a battle, he would have given you 300 knights, not three. Oof. Man, he was full of just some hard humor in that episode. Or not episode, in that chapter. Mm-hmm. When they were talking about hooking up and he was like, wait a second, how am I not going to? Anyway, I don't want to get into it. Those are your owns. Thanks for sending them in. Um, if you want to send in your owns for either of these chapters, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at Game of Owns on Twitter. You can find us Game of Owns on Facebook, or you can find us Game of Owns on Instagram. That's right. Or you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. Please do if you like. Next on the podcast, we'll be discussing Barristan chapters one and two from the winds of winter. You can find you can find the Barrison one fully published sample chapter by Googling it. George R. R. Martin's old website. George R. R. Martin's old website. Or um we believe that the Barrison two is only a fan summary. As far as we can find, at least right now, we may be corrected. We but may find a hidden one yeah. as Jeff revealed to us <laughs> yeah. Ariane too. So But go check those out and then keep an eye out and we will call for owns in the next little while. Before we go, we'd like to tell everyone about our new podcast. If you haven't heard us talk about it before, we're about to make our second episode of a brand new podcast called... I can't believe I get the honors. It's called... <laughs> it's called It Really Makes You Think. And boy, does it really make me think. <laughs> we're it's on just, our second episode. In its infancy. It's, getting it on the ground level. Right. You can get it at the very beginning of this. If you if you jumped in at the very end of Game of Owns and you're like, all these other people are way more legit than I... <laughs> You can get right at the ground floor of this new podcast. We're about to make our second episode, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really fun. It's kind of it's a different outlet. We talk about a song of ice and fire here on Game of Bones, and it really makes you think is just kind of whatever. So. There are no restrictions. We don't have to no talk about rules, anything George just R. R. Martin right. has written or like worked on, <laughs> unless we want to. <laughs> unless we want to. That's so true. you can check us out. You can find that on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify. It's a video podcast. It's a video which is kind podcast. Of different. Yeah. So you can see what we look like. Oh. Ooh, which yeah. is the whole thing in and of itself. <laughs> look and sound. This is two different layers of multimedia, everybody. Yeah. Crazy. Um, you can also follow it really makes you think on Instagram if you want to stay up to date with what's going on with that podcast. But we hope you'll join us over there. We hope you, you'll continue to join us over here on Game of Thrones. If you go to really makes you think dot com, it takes you right to the YouTube page. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So you can see that episode there. 
and we'll have more Game of Owns. Like obviously, we're reading the ones of winter, and we've got Barry to get to, but uh, I'm excited to talk about Zevia or whatever we get to. Me too. <laughs> today in the new podcast. <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening and hanging out with us. And uh, if you want to say hi or anything, just social media. Just hit us up. Email, listen to the new show. <laughs> We really appreciate you staying with us and, and listening to the podcast. It's been really fun just uh, putting this recording together. We had a, a cable go missing, a.k.a. I didn't pack a cable when I should have, and we've been sharing a mic for this episode, and it's just kind of like old school. And that really makes you think. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and we're about to do that again for the other show. And I'm really appreciative of you guys, appreciative of you guys listening and uh, helping give us a reason to put this thing together. Mm-hmm. So nice. So see you guys later. I'll see you guys later. On YouTube.